This is a Palm Sunday, and I have already preached a traditional Palm Sunday sermon. Last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' final entry to Jerusalem on the back of a clumsy colt of a donkey, and there, in midst of, thrilled the disciples and skeptical and terrified Pharisees, we saw the tears of a weeping Jesus. What broke our Lord's heart was not his crucifixion and suffering, but our continual stubborn rejection of his love and truth. Today's story happened Wednesday after Palm Sunday, and the topic of the story was giving or offering to God. Yes, I'm going to talk about offering, which means money, on Palm Sunday. So if it is your first Sunday to forest, this is a very interesting Sunday you picked. May God have a double mercy on you. And uh, ask any one of us you have a doubt about church. And uh, yes. But anyway, two quick points on this odd Palm Sunday sermon. First, if Jesus is our king, as a king, he's worthy of all our tribute. Talking about offering is not a strange thing at all. Second, Jesus actually entered Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom for our redemption. Do you remember Mark 10, 45? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So if, since our Lord and King first gave himself as an offering, we should also learn to give ourselves as an offering back to God. With that, now let's read our text today. Luke chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. It's only four verses. So let's read together from beginning to end. On count three, one, two, three. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting the two very small copper coins. Truly, I'll tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The context of today's story was when Jesus was teaching at the temple of Jerusalem. In the previous chapter, Luke chapter 20, we find Jesus in the temple of Jerusalem temple engaging with chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders of Israel about important topics such as his authority, God's coming judgment, paying taxes to Caesar, and meaning of a resurrection, and the identity of Messiah. And the last public lesson Jesus gave was warning, warning about false spiritual leaders. For that, look at the Luke chapter 20, verse 45 to 47. While all the people are listening, Jesus says to his disciples, Be aware of teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the most important seats in synagogues and the places of honor at banquet. They devour widows' houses and for sure make a lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Notice the last warning about the teachers of the law. Jesus said they devour widows' houses, widows' houses. They exploited the poor of the poor, which are the widow. Here, Jesus connected the story of a widow's offering to his condemnation of the corruption, corrupted Jewish leaders. Here, 
we must notice that Jesus connected one's faith to one's finance. Faith and finance. You know, spiritual, spirituality of a person is inseparable from that person's handle silver or gold. So, for your information, our Lord talked and taught about money more than topic of heaven and hell. It was one of his major main teaching lessons of life. So Richard Halverson, former chaplain to the United States of the Senate, summed it very well. He said this, Jesus Christ said more about money than any other single things because when it comes to man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is the exact index to a person's true character. All, the script, all through the scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a per, man's character and the, how he handles his money. As we come almost to the end of the, our spring sermon series on Gospel of Luke, King for All, I want to make sure that all people of the forest and everyone here understands discipleship and the stewardship go hand in hand. Our following of Christ cannot be separated from our offering. Finance and faith go together. Today on Palm Sunday, I want us to examine our giving to God. And before delving into it, let me clarify and confess. First clarification. I'm not talking about offerings because our church is in any financial crisis. Financially, we've been managing very well. And uh, once again, when you become a member of our church, and uh, I'm actually, some of you are asking me when I'm going to offer the membership class, I'm going to offer in May, in the middle of the May. So we'll announce it very soon. And you will know how prayerfully and carefully we, we plan and execute our budget. The second is a confession. I haven't preached or taught about finance or stewardship much. Do you remember the last time I gave a sermon on offering? Do you? How many of you remember? Neither do I. In fact, I used, I, you know, I used to have a little pride about not preaching about offering. I kind of pat myself on that. Ah, my church people, my congregation, they know better than others. You know, we are a very healthy church, and the healthy church is a generous givers, and our giving is above average. Paul, you have done, you know, you have done a good job. You don't have to talk about money. Well, you know, first thing that I got my attention in today's text when I was uh, uh, reading was a repetition about Jesus' action. Twice in today's story, Jesus saw. Jesus saw. You know what that means? Our God monitors our giving. Jesus sees, our God sees where and how we spend money. All right? Jesus see how each one of us spends our money. Actually, if you look at the Mark chapter 12, verse 41, the first description of today's story, we find that Jesus being very intentional. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 says, Jesus sat down opposite of a place where offering were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. 
So it's a very intentional act. Jesus is kind of sitting in front of, uh, you know, the offering box and seeing everyone dropping their money. So imagine. It's sort of uh, intimidating. Imagine Jesus watching you paying or giving. According to New Testament scholars, Temple of Jerusalem was structured in such a way giving was a very public act. There was 13 collection boxes lined up in the court of a woman. Court of a woman meaning that anybody can be there. So for the offering, they made it very accessible. You, know? you, know, you don't have to Jew, Gentile, sinner, or saint, doesn't matter. You want to give? Please, please do so, you know, kind of thing. Each shaped like a trumpet at the top, so when the money dropped, it make a sound. And as you know, back then, there was no uh, paper bill. Everything is a coin. And coin and metal, and, uh, you know, it makes it make a clinking sound. And uh, coins were made of a different metal. There are some of, made of a silver, gold, and copper. And people paid attention when the large gift was put into collection boxes. Loud cleaning of lots of heavy coins falling into the, this trumpet box was unmistakable. And the attentive listeners could even tell whether the coins being dropped into the trumpet were light copper coins or heavy gold ones, since each made a different sound. And today, Jesus intentionally said across the offering boxes, there, among all the impressive givers, Jesus called out our attention to an insignificant poor widow and declared, declared she gave her more than all others. She gave them all, more than all others. Her giving was a great giving. So I titled today's message, The Great Giving. The Great Giving. I don't care how much you give. If Jesus recognizes it, that is a great giving. And it is my prayer I and my family and my friends and my church, we all have a legacy of a great giving. Amen? So what is a great giving? You know, what is a great giving to God, especially, who has everything and lacks nothing? <laughs> That's a, you know, deep question. You know, what can we give to God who has everything and lacks nothing? For that, we need to know three truths about giving and examine our giving accordingly. The first and foremost truth of giving is a motivation. What motivates us to give to God? Jesus said, verse 1 and 2, he saw the rich putting their gifts into temple treasury. He also saw the poor widow put in the two very small copper coins. Jesus was looking at everyone's uh, uh, offering. What he's looking at is not just his amount, but actually their attitude. Jesus was looking at, looking at their attitude. You know, truly our God doesn't see our outer appearance. God sees our heart. The most important thing about giving is not amount, but it's a heart. It's a heart. Our giving should be motivated by a desire to honor God rather than ourselves. Those who put in the large amount of money may or may not have been concerned about how others view them, but some certainly were. Surely some loved the fact that everyone paid attention to them when they gave a their large offering, you know? So some of them probably say, you know, when they pour, 
their offering, and they say, ding, 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 clink, 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 and then they all, the, you know, onlookers say, wow, that broke the record. That was what, more than, uh, you know, 30 seconds or, you know, you know, 50 Mississippis, you know, whoa. I make a, today I make a lot of confession. Okay. To easing up. You know, uh, 30, exactly 37 years ago, I was in Las Vegas after a Christian conference. And uh, my pastor and I, we are driving from New Mexico back to the California. And uh, when we get to the Las Vegas, we, you know, it was the evening. We were hungry, and we had only $5 and a gas card. So we divided up the uh, $5, $2 to him, and we saved the $1 for the Coke because we have to still drive to Los Angeles. So the, our pastor, college pastor, is recent, he recently came from South Korea. So he never been to casino. So he wanted to see what's it like. So I was happy to comply to his, you know, meet his need. So I took him to casino, and uh, we changed the coins, and uh, we did a slot machine. I did a nickel. I waste them all. And then, then all the corner, there was a ding, 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 and people were going, and I obviously went. There was my college pastor. He hit 777. Ding, 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 ding. But it was a nickel. So once people say it's a nickel machine, they say, and they all went away. But we got $100. We had a great dinner, you know. So we had a great Korean dinner in Las Vegas, better than in L.A. And then a little bit left over. I'm sorry, that shouldn't, you know. But we went back to see whether we can make a little more for the church building fund. We lost it all, and we, we left. Anyway, I still remember the ding, 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 ding sound. That's what some of them kind of experiencing. And people will say, oh, how pious, how, pious, how generous, you know, whatever this brother is. But the thing is this, even though, you know, we, we may not do give up money because other people pay attention, but oftentimes in America, that's how people give up money. Uh, Ken Hughes, the senior pastor of a college church in Wheaton, Illinois, in his commentary, he said this, he wondered, what would happen to our great national charities today without celebrity benefits or published subscribers list? or bronze plaques, or pictures of donors holding three-foot-long checks, three-foot-long three checks, or standing beside the crippled children. I also wonder if American universities and colleges do not name their buildings and scholarships after donors. Would the rich alumni still donate their estate to their beloved alma mater? You know, by the way, at the forest, I want to make sure that only four people know how much you exactly give. You know what the four people know how much you give? God, Satan, treasurer, and you. That the four people know how much you give. You know, rest of us, we don't know. And I don't want to know. So, and also, I like, uh, in a way, some of you ask me, where is the offering player or whatever? I, we do online giving. Or we have an offering box because some people still want to write a check, and that's fine. But I really like that uh, online giving, not because it's convenient, but it removes that, uh, that conspicuous, you know, giving money, you know. So I'm from South America. So I saw there, that church, you know, South, Venezuela, they don't even prepare the envelope. So people see what kind of bill you put it in the plate. 
So during the you know, offering time, it is obvious. Who know, they know who gives what. You know? And I hate that in the church. And glad that we, 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 now we have online giving. Now, most of us will never give you know, anything to make ourselves you know, uh, 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 great before other people. But sometimes it's tempting to take a pride because we give more than others or fact that others don't tithe, but we do tithe. And even if, you know, we don't, you don't give up much or a large amount, but you can still feel proud that you fulfilled your obligation to God. And then when we give in this way, we're really trying to ease our consciences more than we are trying to honor the Lord. And then when we feel uh, prideful or even smug about our you know, giving, you know, the problem is it's all about us, than God. And that's the attitude Jesus is condemning. And the, on that note, I confess today that I have occasional, I occasionally I harbor such a pride in my giving. You know, once in a while, a thought crosses mind or whispers, Satan whispers into my, you know, heart that Paul, though your actual income, it's not ranked high in your church. Your offering is probably ranked very well. Well done, well done. You know, you know every time such a thought or temptation or arrogance comes to my mind, you know what? I have to remember second truth about giving. That is a true measurement. So first truth is a true motivation. Second one is a real measurement. About the real measurement, Jesus in verse 3 Truly, I'll tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All the others gave their gift out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty. It is not some total of an offering that Jesus cares about, but it's a total sacrifice that is honors God. It's a total sacrifice that honors God. You know, today when Jesus picked this poor widow as a role model giver, I bet disciples were perplexed because what she gave was so insignificant, so little. You know, Bible said two copper coins, original text called lapta. Lapta is the smallest coin minted back then. It was a 164th of a denarii, and denarii is a day's wage. So 164th of your daily wage. The value was so little, many people wouldn't bother to pick it up from the ground even. But Jesus called her giving was greater than all others. Here we see God loves sacrificial giving. God loves sacrificial giving. God, Jesus' assessment of a difference between the people who gave much and widow gave a little, it all had to do with one is out of abundance, one out of the poverty and sacrifice. You know the word, verse 4, that out of their wealth? In Greek text is actually periso, which means excess, excess. Periso, you know, periphery, something around the, you know, something around, something edges. Some, so it's simply meaning the overflowing, something overflowing over the, you know, overflowing, overflowing the edges. And Jesus saying is this. There's a difference between giving God our excess and giving God our sacrifice. Are we giving God an excess 
or are we giving God our sacrifice? You know, these people maybe gave a large amount of money, but their offering didn't affect their lifestyle at all. It barely makes a dent, a dent on their vacation budget or Christmas gift. Whereas Jesus said, this widow gave out of poverty all she has. So it is not a mount, it is a heart. It is not the size of offering, but sacrifice that matters to God. So let me give you a very clear definition of true offering. True offering is not how much we give, but how much we live for ourselves. At the end of our life, it's not how much we give, but how much we live left for ourselves. True offering is all about what it costs me more than what it comes to amount. You know, King David understands this better than most people. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, there we see David purchasing a threshing floor where he would offer sacrifice to God. And he went to the owner and asked him how much he, you know, the owner wanted. The owner said he would gladly give it to David, the king, free. And this is what David said. But king replied to Aranua, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice the Lord, my God, burnt offering that cost me nothing. So, Jesus, uh, so David bought, bought the threshing floor and oxen and then paid 50 shekels of silver for them. Jesus, I mean, David understand the gift must cost me something. You know, many, many of us do not approach giving in this way. You know, whenever we give, oftentimes we want to make sure that everything else is, uh, the essential is well taken care. And whatever we can spare, that's what we give, rather than giving sacrificially. So, while we fulfill our obligation to God, we try to really able to indulge our selfish desires. I'm not saying today that you have to give it all and, you know, live in the cardboard house or whatever, you know, in the, out in the street. That's not what I'm saying. Point is, do I, whatever I give to God, does it have a smell of a sacrifice? You know, I want to share uh, something Today I say a lot about personal stuff. So this is a probably the ultimate personal thing that you will hear from me for a while. So my wife and I, we have an identical birthday. I'm exactly year older than she. And this week, we both had a birthday, and I hit a major milestone. So I became a 60 years old. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone who celebrated my birthday especially at the end of a monthly praise and prayer meeting this past month. So I really, you know, I, I received, you know, throughout the week I received the texts and emails and uh, whatever. And uh, so my kids ask me, I have three daughters, they ask me, what's it feel like being 60? What's it feel like being a 60? You know? And to answer that question, let me show you uh, my picture. This is a picture taken of my family when my grandfather was 60 years old. The man in the center, you know, can you see? Good looking, he's a very good looking man actually, I heard. My grandfather, 
he was, he was 60. He has a mustache, too. But anyway, do you know which one is me? Can you guess? Hi, father. Okay, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the far in the corner, that, that corner. Uh, I'm supposed to be a first grader, but my, my, my mother forgot to put me into school. She missed the deadline, so I was, I was an unschooled, seven years old kid. That's another story. <laughs> Point is, okay, now we can get out of it. Okay. Thank you, thank you. That makes me so, you know, anyway. Let me share you my reply that I gave to my children. How do I feel being a 60 years old? I feel so pumped up for God and gospel of Jesus Christ more than ever. You know, when I was a younger novice pastor, I really want to serve God, but I feel like, I'm not really making much contribution. You know, I'm making so many mistakes at the expense of this, you know, trusting, you know, young adult and then, you know, younger people. But by grace of God, I spent 10 years of intense theological training and study. So I feel like now I know a little bit better what to be, you know, I mean, what is the gospel is all about and, the, you know, what to preach. So more than ever, I'm pumped up. And then you know what my goal is? I want to leave everything out there for God. Yeah, so my goal is very simple. Especially, I want to give all, everything that I learned, I want to pass to the next generation. That means many of you. Next generation, so that you will not make the mistakes that you see today. I definitely want to prepare next generation for kingdom of God. And then I, for that, I want to give everything, just knowledge, money, my health, and everything. At the end, I want to bury Jamie, and I want to collapse. I want to go to see Jesus. That's my, you know, game plan. Okay? So, yeah, I don't want Jamie to bury me. I want to, you know. I want to I wanna live, a, you know, a month older than, lo, longer than Jamie. So I'll bury her, and then I'll, I'll collapse, and I'll see Jesus. That's my game plan. So you heard me. So, but seriously, it is a great honor to lay it out all for God. This is a March, we just ended a March Madness, you know, season. Some of you feel guilty about March Madness. Feel, please do so. But anyway. Point is, March Madness is my favorite sports event of the entire year. And my favorite game of a March, March Madness is a basketball game. It's the first round. When the, you know, Goliath team, the, 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 the top blue team, blue chips teams, and the, those the Cinderella team meet together, those are the games that I love. I'm looking for not an upset. You know what I'm looking for? I'm actually looking for a game that is totally lovely. This, you know, uh, Goliath was totally, you know, beating up this, you know, David. And then, you know, usually what happened? About three or sometimes five minutes before when game score is too big and then there's no way that uh, David going to kill the Goliath. You know what coaches of uh, David's team do? They call the, all the senior players, the bench warmers, because this is uh, their last game of their life. This is the last game of their life, official basketball game. 
Do you know only less than a percent of college NCAA Division I basketball player that will ever play in the NBA? 99% or more, they will just go to regular jobs like us. So these senior guys who've been benching over, not a good player. You know, they called at the last minute. They, you know, coach tried to treat them. And then you have to see how they play. Very oftentimes, they come out, they don't care. Whether it's a 40 points of difference, they play like it's a one-point game. Difference, it is a championship game. And they run court to the court, and they do all kind of, you know, they do crazy. You all of a sudden, you know, see, there are these crazy people out there in the court. Why? This is their last game. And they gave it all. And some of them, at the end of the game, they can get up from the court. Even the short period of time, they gave it all. They had a hard time to walk. That's exactly I want to leave this world. I want to give it all. Why? Because Jesus gave it all for me. Jesus gave every ounce of his blood and sweat. And the last breath, he loved me. He loved us. To the last breath, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. From beginning to end, he loved us. And that's how I want to do. So I don't want to leave anything for me, but for God. And that's what I want all of us to also, you know, the way they live the world. Now, there is one more truth about giving here. This third truth is, you know, is something that I actually meditate for a while. That is, a true giving mirrors a great reality that we really believe and belong to. You know, giving manifests not just our values and our treasures, but also giving reveals our trust and hope. Verse 4 said, Jesus says, Out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. On this point, let me ask some questions to probe the giving of this you know, poor widow. Do you think this was her first time giving everything that she owned? Do you think somehow today she was convicted of giving it all? You know, as you know, this kind of all-in reckless giving cannot be done emotionally. Such a sacrificial giving does not happen sentimentally or spontaneously. It only happened gradually and habitually. I think today was not the first day this widow gave it all she had to God. She probably did it before. And she was doing it this probably again in the future. And according to Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, giving is a habit. Giving is a habit. Look at the Matthew chapter 6 verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street, to be honored by others. Truly, I'll tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What does it mean to give so secretly or quietly that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. When do you become unaware of, uh, you know, our hands doing, uh, you know, different things? 
You know, that's when we do something so repeatedly, so regularly, that what we repeat, we call it habit. It's a habit. Do you have some kind of strange habit that you do it while others, you know, unknow, you know unconsciously? You know, I do that. I pick up my nose a lot, you know. And, uh, yeah, and then occasionally, you know, Jamie said, you know, don't do that, you know. But that's, you know, it has its own brain. I love to, you know, this goes right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. We call, we do all kinds of unconscious, you know, habit. So what Jesus meant here is that giving to the needy needs to be so habitually done that we become almost unaware or unconscious of it. And such a habitual giving to the needy will be never taken for granted but rewarded by God. In contrast, the hypocritical giving will not impress God at all. So today is not the first day that this widow gave it all she had to God. She probably did it before and would do it again. What does that mean to us? Giving needs discipline. Let me tell you. Giving needs discipline. Giving is like a muscle. It takes a time and discipline to increase it muscle. So since we have a many young adults, let me tell you. If you don't start tithing now, it will be harder later. When you have a children, it will be much harder. So either better start now, or you will, you will have a much harder time later. So wherever you, whatever amount, or wherever you feel comfortable, that's the beginning. And then slowly increase. And that's how you do it. You know, another question I have here, very important question here, is that how could she give everything to God repeatedly? Listen to me. She trusted God to provide her needs again. Every time she gave it all, she trusted God to meet her need. She's a widow. Back then, woman didn't work. There was no job. There's no, you know, uh, Walmart or some kind of, you know, a manual labor for woman. This woman lived on other people's probably almsgiving. And she trusted God to meet her need. And Pastor Rick Warren of a Saddleback Community Church, he said once this, most people fail to realize that money is both test and trust from God. Money is a test and trust from God. And he is right. Money is a both test that we love God as well as our trust, our trust that God will provide our needs again. Do you know only verse in the Bible that God challenges us to test him is about offering? Look at the Malachi chapter 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into storehouse, and there may be food in my house. And test me in this. You know, test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be a room enough to store it. God said, test me. You know, one of the things that I'm very grateful, the way that uh, God saved me, is that uh, I received Christ back in Venezuela. And uh, some of you heard my testimony, I received Christ in the shanty town in Venezuela. We are financially bankrupt. And the people who share the gospel with us, they are Pentecostal charismatic Christians. 
So what we received was a prosperity gospel. You know what prosperity gospel? You give a tithing to God, God will give you 90% back. Guaranteed. And uh, we experienced God through the prosperity gospel. You know, initially we went to a Venezuelan church. Sorry, it didn't really help us. Because worship service is more than three hours. Like an hour and a half of praising and dancing. Or like praising and dancing. And then pastors, before they preach, they usually ask people, anyone want to share testimony, something? And they love to grab the mic, microphone. And once they grab the microphone, they will not let go. So the testimony is another 45 minutes, and pastor's sermon was long. I was uh, busy translating to my mother. After a few times, we said, give it up. We're not going to the Venezuelan church. We better build our own church. But in our first year of our Christian life, we experiencing God so supernaturally. I use the word supernaturally. Because... Less than six months, we used to live the poorest slum area, and then we moved to richest residential neighborhood in six months. And the God connected us to all kinds of us, people who were willing to buy our product, even without seeing it. They even invested it. So we experienced God's faithfulness through tithing. Actually, we gave more than tithing. Yeah. Occasionally, we said, it will not cover, so in that case, why don't you give a tithing? So we actually had a separate uh, bank account that we, we put all the tithing because we promised God that we will build a church, the Korean church in Venezuela. So sometimes we gave all the you know, uh, incomes, uh, whatever sales we have on, the, on that one. And God blessed us financially so much. So I'm a post-child of a prosperity gospel. Yeah, seriously. But more than you know, anything, that experience of God helped me to trust him. So even when I was uh, 14 students as undergrad students in the United States, I tied. You know, we're talking about almost 40 years ago, my sister and I, we had uh, $30,000 a year. We tied on the $30,000, which my parents already paid a tithing. Because God gave them money. But through all that, I experienced God's blessing. Do you see me poor? Do you see me poor? Do you think this is a poor? Is this a poor people's watch? I'm sorry. I'm not bragging. I'm bragging the God's faithfulness. I just want to say this. Dear brothers and sisters, Tithing is God's grace because God Almighty, who did not spare his one and only son for me, how much should I give to him? How much would you give to him? Somebody gave his life to you. How much do you owe that person? God graciously said, tithing, 10% is okay. It's a gracious offer. It's a more than gracious offer. Psychologically, I always said tithing is more than 10%. Because after all the expenses, that 10% is totally optional 10%. It sounds, it's way like a 30%, 40% of your personal budget. 
But when you give that, you also give a trust God that God is your Lord and he will take care of you, he will meet your need, and I'm proof of that. I survived the 10 years of a doctoral study tithing with my meager salary. I received $1,200 Baylor University, $700 from my church, $400 from the scholarship from another church, and then I, we survived on that tiny shoestring budget in Texas, almost 10 years. Now, I want to say this. Most ultimate thing about giving is a trusting and loving. You know, you can... Give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. You know, when it comes to uh, your, fam your, your, your family members' uh, birthday gift, don't you want to give them the best? You just wish you have more money, right? right? You have a more, more reserve, right? Loving leads us to giving. And the Bible, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, is the ultimate example of their love and giving together. God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. Loving and giving cannot be separated. So this is, a, this is a, you know, offering is all about our heart of gratitude. Now, let me just close quickly. Charles Spurgeon once said, giving is a true having. And the C.S. Lewis kind of explained a little better, a little longer, and definitely better in mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis said this, there must be a real giving up of the self. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Summit to death. Death of your ambition and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Summit with every five of your being and you will find the eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Let me repeat that one. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find the long run, only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, and ruin, and decay. decay. But look for Christ, and you will find the Him, and with Him, everything else thrown in. Everything we die for God, give to God. You know, God will take advantage of us. God will not be like our bosses, that, oh, yeah, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to see what I'm going to do, all your trust in. Anytime we give a little bit to God, God will bless us more than ever. Because God is our Father. What parents will take the children's, you know, giving lightly? I want to, uh, so... Reason I want to, I, I chose this passage as a Palm Sunday, you know, uh, Palm Sunday uh, sermon is this. 
Those of you new to the forest, the forest, we are a particular church. We are committed to the ministry called the house church ministry. So every Friday, we have about 14 house churches are meeting. And the house church is not a, just a small group ministry or one, you know, effective small group ministry. That's not why I signed up in the house church. You know why I signed up with the house church? This is a very concrete discipleship. This is a de facto best discipleship that I know of. You know, discipleship is a sort of a term. People love to use that word. It very sounds good. Discipleship, you know. Isn't that, you know, sounds very, uh, it's a, such a Christian cliche. Yeah, I, I'm in discipleship program. Discipleship. What is a discipleship? Discipleship means simply become, you become like a Christ. You are a learner. You try to become like Christ. How do you become like a Christ? You follow, imitate Christ. In the house church ministry, our shepherds, they really, really sacrifice, not just their time, but especially their money. Do you know some of our, our uh, shepherds? They actually confessed me, or they actually told me that their food budget is out of the, out of, uh, out of whack, whatever. You know, some of these people are professional. They make a good earning. Yet, because of a house church, Friday house church, you know, hosting, their monthly budget is in kind of a teetering. And then I'm sure they have to adjust their vacation plans and so forth. Or they have to postpone their some kind of buying, you know, items to the next year. As a pastor, I am really honored to serve God with this kind of a sacrificial servant. That's why I signed up with a, you know, house church ministry. And that's what we're inviting you to become. You know what? You don't, if you say, oh, poor, my, my house church, you know, shepherd, you are in the church that designed to be, for you to be like that. So this is your future. And the, what's the great deal about this future? For that one, let me give you a last quote of the day. Tim Keller, in one sermon, said this. I really, you know, appreciate his uh, very uh, keen observation. Early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. Pagan society was stingy with their money and promiscuous with their body. Pagan gave nobody their money, practically gave everybody their body. <laughs> and the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, but they gave uh, practically everybody their money. Where do you think the uh, power of the gospel is? It's not our lips. It's not our you know, gospel track. It's about life-giving sacrifice that we saw in Jesus Christ, and we practice one another. We give because we love, because God loved us and gave the best. And ultimately, I'm sorry, we have one more quote. You know, famed missionary to Ecuador and martyr, Jimmy Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to lose what he cannot gain. Everything we have, we will lose. But while we have it, we better use it to gain something we cannot lose, which is the souls of the people. Souls of the people. God gave all the resources, finance, health, time, knowledge, 
whatever, friendship, everything. Not for us to, you know, hold, but to share. That's what the house church's ministry is about. Amen? I pray on this Palm Sunday, we dedicate ourselves once again, not just as a giver, but sacrificial giver. Because our King and the Savior, He gave Himself as a sacrifice. Let's pray.